Hello, my zebras and spoonies. Thank you for coming and hanging out with me today. I'm glad that you are here. Today, I want to revisit the topic of how I cope with my chronic illness. I made a previous post about this that focused on the philosophy that I use when thinking about chronic illness that allows me to better manage the challenges that I face. Um, but I wanted to revisit the topic to talk about it from a more practical perspective. I want to talk about how coping skills or tools can be used to help you through some of the tougher times. As I got to working on this, I realized that there was a lot of material here, so I've broken it up into two parts, and that second part should be posting on Friday if all things go well. So the first thing to talk about is reframing. Framing is the process of defining the context or issues surrounding a question, problem, or event in a way that serves to influence how the context or issues are perceived and evaluated. We do this all the time. We value some things over others and frame things based on those values. This process happens without active thought, but we can choose to become an active in this process through reframing. This is a process of reconceptualizing a problem by seeing it from a different perspective. Altering the conceptual or emotional context of a problem often serves to alter perceptions of the problem's difficulty and to open up possibilities for solving it. Sometimes we need an outside perspective to achieve a reframing or a frame shift. This other perspective can be a therapist or a friend, but it is important that they are someone who is going to be willing to challenge your thought processes and your perspectives on the given situation. Cognitive reframing, whether it is practiced independently or with the help of an outside perspective, can be a helpful way to turn problems or negative thoughts into opportunities for change and growth. With practice, you can learn to remind yourself that your initial conclusion is only one possible explanation. It's easy to get into the mindset that your outlook is the only way to look at a problem. Cognitive reframing teaches you to ask yourself questions like, is there another way to look at this situation? Or what are some possible reasons that this could have happened? Pointing out alternatives can help you see things from another point of view. As we shift our thinking about our situation, there's a change in emotional tone and the meaning that we give to our life circumstances. We can choose to move our experience from a negative frame to a more hopeful one filled with opportunities. This process allows us to expand our view of our reality. When reframing your perspective, it is helpful to consider if your current perspective on the problem has any distorted thinking. Let's take a look at a few types of distorted thinking that may be hindering you. All or nothing thinking. When thinking in all or nothing terms, you split your views into extremes. Everything from your view of yourself to your life experiences is divided into black or white terms. This leaves room for little, if any, gray or of an area in between. If you find yourself using words like always or never, you may be falling into this trap. An example, I can't do anything. This statement falls into the never category and most likely it's not true. 
A way to reframe this would be, I have chronic illness that limits a lot of things that I can do, but there are still things that I can do. When taking on all or nothing thinking, recognize your strengths, understand that setbacks happen, and look for the positive in a situation. Another kind of distorted thinking is catastrophizing. Catastrophic thinking assumes that the worst will happen. While the worst does sometimes happen, it doesn't always happen. But our brains can fall into the trap of believing that the worst case will be the outcome for everything that we try to accomplish. When you fall into catastrophic thinking, it is important to challenge this these thoughts and this perspective. Ask yourself, how likely is it that this outcome will happen? Or do I have evidence that this is going to happen? Or what is a more likely outcome? And the last type of distorted thinking that I'm going to discuss is should statements. Should statements are common negative thinking pattern or a cognitive distortion that contribute to feelings of worry, anxiety, and fear. They put unreasonable demands and pressure on yourself, which can make you feel guilty or like a failure. The trap inherent in should statements is the perfectionism that it imposes upon you. When we say that we should be something other than what we are, there is an inherent devaluing of what we actually are. And this leads to feelings of shame. Remember that no one is expected to be perfect, including yourself. Begin by being compassionate with yourself. Accept your shortcomings and celebrate your, your strengths. Give yourself permission to be imperfectly human because we all are. Another way to reframe is simply by reconsidering the words that we use to talk about our situation. If we describe the situation as a problem, that will shape the way that we think about that situation and how we feel about it. A problem is defined as a matter or situation regarded as unwelcomed or harmful and needing to be dealt with and overcome. Just by choosing to describe the situation as a problem, the situation is cast with a negative shadow and feelings of anger, dread, or sadness are likely to follow. But what happens if we choose the word challenge to reference the situation we are currently facing? A, a challenge is a call to take part in a contest or a competition. There's nothing inherently negative programmed into the word challenge. It acknowledges that the situation is difficult, but it removes the emotional bias. If the word challenge is used, we now have the choice in how we will emotionally respond to the situation. Challenges can be interesting or exciting. It's unlikely that a problem will be either of those. When we consider situations a challenge, it becomes something to fight back against, an affront that elicits a competitive response from you. You might say, I'm going to beat this. I am not going to let this adversity win. This engages our problem-solving brain and shifts us into solution-oriented thinking. When we think of situations as challenges, it also allows us to consider the possibility of learning or an opportunity to grow from a difficult experience.
So there's also the option of reframing how we consider the problem in context of time. Usually we consider our problems in the very immediate now sense of things, but we can reframe by considering them in the long-term context. One way of reframing with the context of time is to ask ourselves, when I look back on this moment a year from now, how will I have wanted to respond? This is basically asking ourselves who we desire to be and what types of behaviors we value. But you can also reframe a problem in the time context by reminding yourself of impermanence. Nothing lasts forever. Whatever the current situation is, it's not going to last forever. Is it something that you can simply wait out? Sometimes that's true. And when you consider stuff in context of impermanence, it opens up the option of just waiting. So in truth, reframing has endless possibilities and I could probably like go on for an hour just on the concepts of reframing. But the point is just to try to look at things from a different perspective than you have been so that you can gain different insight. None of these methods for reframing will work all the time, but they are good resources to have available to you when things are getting difficult. So another coping skill that you can use in a difficult time is giving your emotions space. Yes, give your emotions space. Right. So what does that even mean? Giving your emotions space means allowing yourself to feel whatever you're feeling without making an effort to change those feelings. That's hard. The first step in being able to do this is challenging the idea that there are good or bad feelings. Strip away the value judgments and instead consider what is generating the feeling. While sitting in our emotions can be uncomfortable work, it is important to hold on to the reality that feelings cannot harm you. Being angry doesn't hurt you. How you behave in response to your feelings can be harmful or helpful but the feeling itself is just a thing that is happening. Having undesired feelings is a part of being human. Generally speaking, people don't want to feel sad or angry or jaded or anxious or any of the other uncomfortable, negatively viewed emotions. But the truth is that these feelings are normal and a healthy part of being human. When you have a chronic illness, a lot of things are happening to you. Your body is changing in undesirable ways. Your self-image is challenged. The future that you've been imagining now requires re-envisioning. It makes sense that you're going to feel things like anger or envy or fear or sadness or a whole bunch of those other, quote, negative emotions. Having these feelings in response to your illness is a normal response to a difficult situation. Give yourself permission to be human and allow yourself to feel whatever it is that you're feeling in the moment. Consider what that emotion is telling you about the situation. The truth about emotions is that they don't just go away if we ignore them. 
when we step them down or push them aside, they'll just pop up in unexpected ways. They will present as being short-tempered with your loved ones, or they'll creep in through insomnia or nightmares. The only way to process your feelings is to sit with them and move through them. This can be difficult to do, especially if you're not even sure what it is that you are feeling. Don't be afraid to ask for help. This can be just talking to a friend about things, or it can mean going to a professional. Either way, talking about how we are feeling can be helpful. There's a great deal of power just in the naming of a feeling. Once you name something, you've gained a level of understanding of that thing and a sense of perspective. When you're standing in an emotional storm, seek to identify and name the feelings that you're having, not in a judgmental way, but more out of a quiet detachment observation. Oh, this is loneliness. Oh, I'm feeling angry. You don't have to do anything with a feeling just because you're having it. Just recognizing it helps you see it as a separate entity and it promotes a greater sense of self-control. Holding space is a powerful relationship skill for many reasons. Emotional space enables you to be emotionally present for yourself and for the people that you care about. It makes all the difference between reacting and responding. When we give our emotions space, we also give ourselves time to process and evaluate not only what we're feeling, but why we're feeling it. It also makes self-compassion possible. When we give our emotions space, we give ourselves a chance to understand what we're feeling, what we're going through, and why we might be feeling stressed out or having difficulties or struggling right now. And we can say, hey, okay, so this is a hard time right now, and we can be compassionate. But when we don't even acknowledge that we're having those feelings, we can't take the time to give ourselves self-care because we're not even aware that we need it. And lastly, giving having emotional space makes intimate connections with other people a possibility. Even though we're feeling things, we are not these things. And just because we experience these feelings, it does not mean that they are true. When big life stuff happens, we often identify with it, allow it to curl up and nestle in our hearts like a cat by the hearth. We become the thing that happened, the betrayed, the abandoned, the lost, the broken. By giving our emotions space, we give ourselves the chance to choose the way that we want to identify with emotions that we were having. And we can choose to not be the victim, to not be lost, and to not be broken. Another coping skill is engaging in grief work. This is a topic that I frequently visit. And because of that, I'm only going to touch on it briefly. Um, all humans suffer. It is inherently part of the human condition. Processing our suffering is the act of grieving. When you have chronic illness, it is important to recognize that your grieving is an ongoing process that will last your entire lifetime. Every time that you experience a decline in your status, you will grieve. 
whenever you're reminded of the future that you once imagined and is no longer possible, you will grieve. Thinking about the person that you used to be will also lead to grief. This is normal. Let the tides of life come in and tread their waters while reminding yourself that that tide will also recede. A good coping skill is to have a flare bag. No matter how good your treatment plan, having chronic illness means that there will be times that your symptoms are going to flare. It's just going to happen. Breakthrough symptoms happen. Keep note of what things help you feel better during a flare. Gather those resources together into one place that is easy for you to access. A bag is often a useful way of collecting these resources, which is why I refer to it as a flare bag. But it really doesn't have to be a bag. It can be a box. It can be a tote. It can be anything, a little corner on your desk, whatever works for you. But just having it be in a place that you know where it is. Having a flare bag means that you now have all your management tools available to you without spending spoons on it. So when you have a flare and spoons are scarce, this is one less thing to spend those precious spoons on. And since brain fog can make problem solving difficult and usually comes with a flare, having a flare bag can also serve as a reminder of what things might be helpful during your flare. You can just look in the bag and be like, oh, look, here's this thing. This thing might help. Another good coping skill is to gather social support. Having social support makes a huge difference when you are struggling. This comes in many ways. Doctors, therapists, friends, family, support groups, or online communities. There's no such thing as having too much social support. Make sure that you have a medical team that you trust and that is supportive. Each member of that team needs to be filling a role towards improving your quality of life. If they aren't helping you, they don't belong on your medical team. Don't hesitate to fire a healthcare provider that isn't effective or isn't willing to work, the goal, work towards the goals that you value or isn't someone that you trust. Support groups and online communities are a great resource for finding others who have shared experiences. There's something powerful in simply feeling that another person understands you and your experience. Someone who doesn't have the same illness as you will have a more difficult time relating to your chronic illness experiences. So seek out others who share your diagnosis so that you can just have that, yeah, I relate moments. Your friends and family can be your best allies or your worst enemies. It is very important to evaluate the relationships you have in your life. There's nothing wrong with ending relationships with people that are causing you harm. This doesn't mean that they are bad people or that you don't care about them. It only means that with their given situation and your given situation, the two of you are not currently compatible and it's not helpful for you to be connected. Sometimes this means removing people from your life completely, and other times it just means redrawing your boundaries. Another good coping skill is gratitude work. 
The nature of chronic illness demands that we spend a good amount of our time in problem-solving mode. We experience symptoms and devise ways to make those symptoms easier to tolerate. We can't do something, so we come up with ways to work around that. We find solutions. This is effective and important. But it's also important to keep in mind that problem solving is inherently focused on problems. When you are in this mode of thinking, you are focusing on things that are not working, that are causing suffering, or that are broken. It focuses on the negative aspects of your life, the things that you want to change and improve upon. Gratitude work is about reminding ourselves of the good things in our lives. Because when we are focused on problem solving, it can be easy to begin to think that there is nothing good or going right in our life. Setting aside time for gratitude work is a way to challenge this idea, a way to remind ourselves of the good, and a way to just celebrate things that bring us joy. Spirituality is a coping skill. When you have chronic illness, it can be easy to overlook the importance of maintaining our spiritual health. This need looks different for everyone, but it is a universal need. Spirituality is about the consideration of the self in context of the greater universe. This can be a religious experience, but it doesn't have to be. Even an atheist has spiritual needs. The fact that they have declared themselves an atheist means that they have spent time considering the big life questions. While attending to our physical and psychological needs is important, we cannot neglect the spiritual needs that we have either. Holistic self-care that tends to all three areas of need will result in the best possible outcomes. So be sure to attend church or meditate or pray, whatever spirituality looks like for you. Give yourself time to contemplate the big questions like, what is the meaning of life and what is my place in the universe? Part of spiritual work is facing and accepting our mortality. When you have chronic illness, you often become more aware of your mortality. And avoiding the reality of our inevitable death is a source of anxiety and fear. When you spend the time to do the spiritual work needed, you can find peace and acceptance with your mortality. This acceptance can make facing the symptoms and declines that come with chronic illness a little easier. Spirituality offers us a framework to consider our own mortality. So that's all for now. Um, Thanks for coming and hanging out with me today. I appreciate you spending your time. Uh, So the second part of this should be posting on Friday. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Bye.